Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Find out more, give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you Naples Magazine, be in the know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's also the chairman of a terrific organization. It's called the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about big tech and the terms of use that we sign off on for them to be able to use our information. We'll visit with uh, Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and, spe- and author of several books. This latest, I forgot to put it here in front of me, but nevertheless, uh, we'll f- be talking about Professor with Professor Bell as well. It is uh, March the 10th, and on this day in 1959, Tibetans a band together in a revolt surrounding the summer palace of the Dalai Lama in defiance of Chinese occupation forces. This was an act of tremendous bravery. China's occupation of Tibet began nearly a decade before in October 1950 when troops from its People's Liberation Army invaded the country. Barely one year after the communists gained full control of the mainland China, the Tibetan government gave in to Chinese pressure that the following year, signing a treaty that ensured the power of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, the country's spiritual leader, over Tibet's domestic affairs. Resistance to Chinese occupation built steadily over the next several years, including a revolt in several areas of eastern Tibet in 1956. By December 1958, rebellion was simmering in Lhasa, the capital, and the PLA, or the uh, 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 People's Liberation Army, Command threat to bomb the city if or if order was not maintained. The March 1959 uprising in Lhasa was triggered by fears of a plot to kidnap the Dalai Lama and take him into Beijing. When Chinese military officers invited His Holiness to visit the PLA headquarters for a theatrical performance and offered tea, he was told he must come alone and that no Tibetan military bodyguards or personnel would be allowed past the edges of the military camp. On March the 10th, 300,000 loyal Tibetans surrounded the palace, preventing the Dalai Lama from accepting the PLA's invitation. By March the 17th, Chinese artillery was aimed at the palace, and the Dalai Lama was evacuated to neighboring India. Fighting broke out in Lhasa, and two days later, with Tibetan rebels hopelessly outnumbered and outgunned, Early on March 21st, the Chinese began shelling Norbalinka, slaughtering tens of thousands of men, women, and children still camped outside in the aftermath. The PLA cracked down on Tibetan resistance, executing the Dalai Lama's guards and destroying Lhasa's major monasteries, along with thousands of other inhabitants. Chinese stranglehold on Tibet and its brutal suppression of separatist activity had continued into the decades following the unsuccessful uprising. Tens of thousands of Tibetans followed their leader to India, where Dalai Lama has long maintained a government in exile in the foothills of the Himalayas. The resistance of the Tibetans has been amazing and inspirational. You could only hope that something like this could happen for the Uyghurs and others who are being suppressed in uh, China. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 84 new COVID-19 cases and four additional deaths in Collier County on Tuesday. The moving seven-day coverage in Collier was about 67 through Monday, about 48% fewer than the average on February the 1st. As of approximately 2 p.m. on Tuesday, there were 47 COVID patients in Collier County hospitals. Now, all this translates into much lower numbers, very encouraging numbers when it comes to perhaps snuffing out the virus here in Collier County and across uh, the state of Florida and the country. We can only hope. Well, conservative radio host Dan Bongino announced that he's received a clean bill of health. He had cancer. He revealed on October he had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
Uh, this is important to me. I think he's a terrific host and a very smart guy. Of course, part of the Secret Service worked at the White House, had a, worked in the uh, Washington, in the New York Police Department. He, he ran for Congress here in District 19 against Francis Rooney and lost. Quite frankly, I'm pretty pleased that he did because his conservative voice is so much more important on his podcast. And we kind of got a twofer in, in the fact that Byron Donalds right now holds the congressional seat. And uh, Dan Bongino has a clean bill of health, and he's broadcasting uh, today. And uh, if you haven't heard his podcast, it's well worth the time to uh, tune in. Well, it was a time not long ago when Democrats valued work over welfare. Here's a quote I'm absolutely convinced. We have to have work as the centerpiece of any social policy. That was Barack Obama on September the 4th, 2008. Biden was once a welfare reformer, too, before a flip-flop so epic that even the liberal politico is calling him out. Uh, lessons from one year of a lockdown, the poor uh, got poor and crushed. Historians look back and will note the irony that Congress passed a gargantuan $1.9 trillion payoff to teacher unions, government workers, and mismanaged state and local pension plans, along with the helicopter money for everyone as an economic recovery was showing real signs of strength. Let me just repeat that. I mean, did you hear the list of people that are getting paid off? Teachers, unions, government workers, mismanaged states, and of course the recovery, it's going just fine. We don't need the stimulus. Lockdowns, not the virus, crushed the working class. Most Americans are in high-wage, information-age Jobs weathered the storm, and many did much better in the age of the Zoom and telecommuting. The lower-income service workers who worked at restaurants, hotels, stores, airports, and so on were clobbered financially. For industries not hobbled by brutal lockdowns, hiring is booming. For those earning more than $60,000 a year, the employment rate is up nearly 3% from pre-pandemic levels. Americans have saved an extra one3 trillion dollars, much of it from previous stimulus payments. We had a victory of sorts this weekend when Democrats agreed to reduce the unemployment bonus to $300 a week from the proposed $400 a week for six months. The concession came as a result of the uh, co-founder of Steve Moore and uh, the, the program that he puts out, senior fellow Casey Mulligan, published an analysis in the Wall Street Journal showing the benefits would give many unemployed workers up to $150,000 tax-free rewards for staying unemployed unemployed for the next half year. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. The new bill only loses 3 million jobs, not 4 million. So we save the economy a million jobs. We keep waiting by the telephone for job Joe Biden to thank us. I don't think that's going to help happen. So... Of this $1 trillion, $1.9 trillion package, we did get a concession. The Republicans were able to reduce the uh, bonus from $300 to $400 to $300 a week for payment for unemployment. Unbelievable. Benefits are still preposterously high for most unemployed workers in most states. Congress has decided to not make work pay. And so we'll get a lot more non-workers just at the time when businesses are hiring uh, and springing back to life later this spring. Brilliant, huh? What a package. Unbelievable. And it costs us $1.9 trillion. Polls show that only one to three Americans believe that there was no ballot fraud in the last two elections. Democrats think Trump stole the election in 2016. And Republican voters strongly believe that Biden stole the 2020 election, but the Biden Democrats keep insisting there is no voter fraud and that any attempts to safeguard the election process are voter suppression measures. Their bill, H.R. 1, which passed the House last week with all Democrat votes, is an open invitation to fraud and eliminates most all preventive measures. You don't have to believe any of this have some more offensive measures, force states to implement mandatory voter registration, removing civic participation as a voluntary choice, and increasing chances for error, mandates same-day voter registration, which encourages voter fraud. All this stuff is happening in H.R. 1. 
And will it pass? We certainly hope not. Uh, Bar State, from uh, making their own laws about voting uh, by mail, mandates free mailing of absentee ballots, eliminates voter ID requirements to cast a ballot, requires states to allow ballot harvesting, which lets third-party collect third parties collect ballots on behalf of a group of voters, such as those in nursing homes. If the bill passes, our elections will look like those of the Banana Republic. I think they already do. And that might be unfair to people who live <laughs> in Banana Republic. Michael Barone, the longtime co-author of the definitive almanac of public politics, worries that the country is about to make the same fundamental policy errors it did during the Great Society. That certainly looks like it's the case. Rowan now warns, it now looks like we're starting the same cycle again. The move to defund the police threatened to destabilize our cities again. The COVID bailout gives a single parent with two kids, working or not, $7,200 a year plus $6,400 in food stamps. Supporters argue that recipients would keep working because benefits wouldn't reduced, be reduced by wages earned. This, this is uh, so sad, the directions that we're seeing this go. In any event, uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more. Right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and author and chairman of of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Uh, tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, 
and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Fantastic organization, Cato.org. So, Bob, last week we uh, were talking about NSA surveillance. We weren't able to finish the conversation. So let's, let's do talk about this because where does the FISA or the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court stand at this point? Um, some time ago, one of the FISA judges wrote that the courts uh, passed approval of these programs, and now we're talking about the metadata program, and that is collecting data from just about everybody on who you, who you called, what, uh, what length of the call, everything except the content of the call. That, that program uh, relied on what the judge called a flawed depiction of how the NSA uses the data, buttressed by repeated inaccurate statements by the government. The judge actually wrote that uh, privacy procedures have been frequently and systematically violated and have never functioned effectively. And then a different uh, FISA judge uh, a couple years later said, uh, contrary to the government's repeated assurances, NSA has been routinely queried uh, using terms that did not meet the required standard of relevance. And he accused the government of a substantial misrepresentation regarding the scope of the program, and he said it was deficient on statutory and constitutional grounds. So some pretty critical statements by the FISA court. Sounds that way, and yet, uh, of course, with the expectation with uh, how what the FISA warrants that were issued in order to investigate the Trump administration, you would expect uh, perhaps more severe consequences, but it looks like things are pretty much back to normal. Yes, except they did uh, ultimately get rid of the metadata uh, program. That was unrelated to the Trump uh, controversy. But when, when they considered a renewal of this uh, metadata program, uh, they ended up passing what's called the USA Freedom Act, McConnell in the Senate and some of the conservatives wanted to extend the Patriot Act as it was with the metadata. Uh, the libertarian contingent led by Rand Paul, joined by some of the liberal Democrats, wanted to repeal uh, the thing. And then the Obama administration and, and most of the Democrats and some of the Republicans ended up opting for a compromise. And the compromise was basically after a six-month transition, the metadata would be still collected, but by the phone companies, not by the government. And, of course, the phone companies had already collected the data, so that was no change. Then the government could query the phone companies and get the data, but they had to uh, show reasonable, articulable uh, suspicion. And then they further provided in this compromise that the foreign, the FISA court opinions would be declassified so we could see, um, with, with, with the exception of certain redacted parts, we could see what the FISA court was judging with respect to these uh, programs. And we would also have a panel of advocates for the public in significant uh, FISA uh, cases. The other program, by the way, this PRISM program, which allowed uh, sweeping up domestic communications as long as uh, a domestic person was not the target, yeah. that program was allowed to continue, and in fact it was renewed uh, back in January of 2018. The latest is, however, that in 2020, the metadata program, uh, with all of its warts, uh, was finally determined to be not worth the controversy, and it was not renewed. So we do not have the, that any longer. So uh, just in summary, then, just taking a look at everything that's happened up to this point with regard to the FISA courts, uh, are you, do you support uh, the FISA program and the FISA courts as uh, part of our uh, system for investigating and for uh, in in inquiry into what's going on? I do, but I think there has to be uh, considerably more uh, scrutiny of the warrants that are presented to the FISA court. That was the problem under the, uh, the with the Trump investigation. That is that these warrants were presented, and uh, of course the FISA court has no way of investigating the veracity of the of the warrants and the the uh, uh, presentation of these warrants. 
uh, was uh, was simply not not based on that on reliable data. Yeah. Uh, the FISA court ended up granting the warrants because they were misled into granting the warrants. So there ought to be punishment uh, for presentation of invalid uh, warrants to the FISA court. Far stricter punishment than we've seen it administered to date. Interesting. So, Bob, let's let's move that right now to Facebook, Twitter, Google, and other big tech companies often insist their user agreements to terms of service are unreasonably tilted in favor of the companies, and I certainly would agree with that. Are these take-it-or-leave-it agreements a serious problem for consumers? Well, you know, there, there are billions of people globally that rely on these giant companies for information and for social uh, interaction. So, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Google, they often include these sort of inconspicuous and verbose and uh, I guess you'd call them Byzantine provisions in their terms of service agreements. And, and among, among the more onerous stipulations, you know, the consumer waives his right to litigate. He has to agree to binding arbitration. He gives the website access to browsing history, access to some personal data. Uh, he allows the company to alter the terms of service without any advance warning, and, and the consumer often has to agree to restrictions on cancellation of the service. So I'd say, yes, uh, these are potentially problematic for uh, consumers because of the um, widespread use of these big tech services. Yeah. So are these take-it-or-leave-it agreements a serious problem for consumers? The uh, the agreements uh, are, you know, they're called contracts of adhesion. Yeah. And basically what they are is boilerplate that's fashioned to favor one party, in this case, the big tech, tech companies. And there's usually no opportunity for the other party to negotiate a, a better bargain. So essentially, as you said, it's a take-it-or-leave-it deal. They're not illegal, uh, but when the terms are too oppressive, then the courts sometimes bar enforcement under a doctrine that's called unconscionability. Uh, and these legal doctrines, such as unconscionability, uh, they're difficult to understand, and they vary by jurisdiction, and they often change as the technology uh, evolves. And, of course, as we know, uh, the technology has certainly uh, evolved. So uh, the, the uh, provisions are enforceable, subject to this unconscionability doctrine. So interesting. So are terms of service provisions enforceable by big tech companies? They are enforceable. Um, again, uh, if the uh, consumer can show that the agreement was unconscionable, uh, then the enforcement mechanism will generally uh, not be permitted by the courts. But you have to look at each state's laws to determine what constitutes unconscionability. And you have to <clears throat> be aware that that will change over time because the technology is so dynamic. In my opinion, I, I just think that it should be illegal for any big tech companies to retain any information about any consumer, period. And I realize it has a lot of implications for how tech companies charge for the services they provide, but uh, I just go back to these uh, FISA warrants and the other things about personal privacy, and it's just unconscionable that these big companies, we're the product. <laughs> we're, <laughs> since, since they collect nothing from us, we're the product, and they're selling us. It's just not right. Yeah, they are indeed. The, it, it, I, I would amend that by saying that if the consumer consents and is fully aware mm -hmm. of the terms of service, mm -hmm. that is, the conditions of his consent, then, of course, if the consumer prefers to pay lower prices or, for that matter, free, in the case of most of these services, in return for surrendering personal data, that's something the consumer should be permitted to do. Mm. But the non-consensual uh, expropriation of this data does create some Serious problems, yeah. privacy problems. Well, I'd like to continue the conversation on this again. Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. The website is cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, as always, I appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. They create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It doesn't get any easier under this administration. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, my friend. So we are in such interesting times, almost deja vu all over again when it comes to the uh, Obama administration. What are your thoughts? Well, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts on that exact issue. Uh, let me just start out with a few other comments. Uh, uh, first, the Byron Donald's appearance on the uh, <clears throat> Mark Levin show on Sunday, just an outstanding performance by our uh, a fairly young congressman in the 19th district. Uh, obviously, this is a man almost ready for prime time at this point. So uh, I'm very excited for, 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 for Byron, the way he's handling himself. And uh, I think he's one of the few real sources of optimism I, I have in America. Uh, so there are, there are a couple of stories that are beneath the, the radar. Many things fall beneath the radar for the American media, but they're, they're important stories in, uh, in their own right. Uh, for example, Bob, in the UK, uh, based on population, twice as many British citizens have been vaccinated for COVID-19 as compared to the United States. The reason being is they do not give the second dose until all of the first doses have been administered. Yeah. Now, the first dose from Moderna and, and, and Pfizer produces a 90% effectiveness. The second dose ups that a little bit, but not that much, not that substantially. So here we have a circumstance where twice as many, based on population in the UK, as compared to the United States, because we adhere to this rigid model of, of approximately 30 days after the first dose, you must get the second dose. 20 million people have gotten that second dose. All of those could have been first dose, uh, first dose applications of Moderna and Pfizer. 
to me, that's that's an important story that that rigidity of the CDC has, in fact, probably held us back from getting a substantial level of what can be called herd herd immunity. Um, Another story that I I think is also uh, surprising and and important in its its own way is the the birth rate in December of this past year went down by 7%. Now, all the predictions with the pandemic and people staying home and isolated was that the uh, the birth rate would go up. But actually, in December, it went down by 7%. Right now, the fertility rate in America is 1.7. Now, the fertility rate is the number of children produced by a couple uh, in a a marriage. So uh, at this point, it's 1.7. It takes 2.1% to be able to just uh, replicate your population, hold your population at its existing number. So now it's down to 1.7. In 2010, it was 2.6. They're anticipating 300 to 500,000 less births in 2021 than than would have been normally anticipated. Now, these numbers, uh, if if your listeners are not uh, used to understanding the implication of the fertility rate, it actually uh, predicts the stability of your culture, the stability of your whole country. Uh, and essentially, right, what we're seeing right now is with that 1.7 rate and 500,000 deaths less, or births rather, less in 2021, we're seeing a, a prime indicator of a disintegrating culture. And somehow that has to be reversed as I can induce that, obviously, but it's a very important number, Bob. So well, let me just stop there and see if you have any comments. Well, I do have some comments. First of all, I'd like to underscore the importance of uh, having Byron Donalds on uh, the uh, Mark Levin show. I think that was just fantastic. It really elevates the importance of his voice as a conservative. And I think he is going to make a real difference. I, I do want to underscore that point. It's such an important point. And he is getting calls now from everybody to be on on uh, a spokesperson for the conservative view because he is so level-headed and so clear and, uh, quite frankly, I think convincing not only to the right but also to the left. So I'm glad you His ability it. to articulate issues is, is outstanding. He does so in a, in a calm manner. He... He has a, a level of humor and pathos in his in his comments that uh, that brings out a wonderful humanness about uh, about Mr. Donalds. Uh, and essentially, I sent out a, uh, a congratulatory email to a, a group of about a hundred people on a, on a on a specialized list of mine. Uh, I have never received such uh, enormous feedback as I did on the comments I made about about Byron Donalds. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm for this man. I, I think he's the kind of a kind of man that we should really get behind, and I think I think we will. I think this man has has earned his right to that at this point. And uh, again, if we can if we can harness the the greatness of a Byron Donalds and others that are similar, I, I think we have a, a a chance at least, Bob, of of saving America. Yeah. The other point I wanted to make is the uh, while it's interesting that the birth rate is down, the uh, marriage rate survival of marriages is up. People are staying married longer. Which, quite frankly, is a little bit surprising considering the pandemic that uh, many people are spending more time together. So, so if, in fact, there are edges in the relationship, it could exacerbate those. But that has not been the case. So, uh, well, divorce, divorce typically has a financial uh, component. Yeah. In other words, can they afford to get divorced? Yeah. So as we see uh, an, an economy that was somehow... Uh, um, driven downward uh the implication of that can also affect whether people are willing to uh to separate or become divorced they just can't afford it bob just can't afford it interesting interesting point so but uh, the point is now what that raises the importance of of uh immigration we need immigration because we're going to see a declining birth we've seen a declining birth rate that's going to lead to fewer people and at least it's going to lead to uh to a, a weaker economy but what we need is legal immigration, and we need uh, immigration based on choice, based on uh, quality, or based on uh, who should be Mer- in the- meritorious immigration. Right? Exactly, exactly right. Right. And I, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that's always been the case. Uh, actually, our fertility rate was kept above the replacement rate of 2.1 uh, because of the significant uh, number of, of Hispanics coming into the country and those. Those families tend to have higher higher birth rates. So to see that number slip to 1.7 is is rather surprising. 
and, and it's very important. If we look at Europe within the same considerations, I, I think Italy, the last I saw, is at 1.2. Spain is at 1.1. These wow. countries are disappearing, Bob. Yeah. Uh, we can anticipate that the uh, Italian culture, as we know, with the Spanish culture, and even the Russian culture, which is at about a 1.4, last I heard, wow. uh, these cultures will disappear because they are just not replacing themselves. So you can throw this uh, forward 25 years, 50 years at the most, and Italy is gone, Spain is gone, and probably culturally, Russia is gone. So, uh, pointed question to you, what conclusions do you draw from this? I mean, wh why is this happening? Uh, why? The, the why is, is difficult. I think you have a, uh, a modern world in which people are willfully uh, uh, limiting their, their birth uh, rate in their own families to one child. The, uh, the working mother, I think, certainly uh, has, has done that. Uh, and also, there's, uh, there's a, a, a suspicion that nature has a voice to, to play in this. In other words, it's, it is responsive to the, uh, to the emotional, psychological circumstance that uh, the, the people exist in. And that circumstance, psychologically, emotionally, is not one that produces a a, a, uh, a healthy fertility process. Yeah, so, I would, uh, I, that has not been validated, but that's one of the the medical suspicions about the uh, declining birth rate in so many European countries. Yeah, well, I would also raise the specter of whether people have confidence that their children will have a good life, bringing new kids and new people into the world. Right now, to me. The world looks like a, a not-so-inviting place compared to where it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, quite frankly. You know, and, and if we just had not had this incredible abortion rate that's existed since Roe Wade, I, you know, the, the country would be, would be well-populated and well-fortified for the future. I'm not going to build an entire case around that, but when certainly there's 30 million estimated abortions since 1973, uh, that number would probably represent an additional population number of 75 to 100 million with their own reproductive process. So, you know, I, I think these things are uh, have to be considered. I'm, I'm not going to stake a moral case uh, against abortion, although it could be made, uh, but I am going to say in terms of the well-being of a culture, Abortion is intrusive on the stability of a culture, and yeah. I think that's what we're seeing uh, to a large extent right now in America. Great summary, Andy. I want to talk to you more about what's happening with HR1 and uh, what could be going on. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to promote Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I use it. I post all of my shows on Choice Social, and I hope you'll check it out by going to choicesocial.us. That's the website. You can also get it at the App Store, Choice Social. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Now, Sandy, any any comments at all about the uh, uh, Markle? Uh, about the well, I, I yeah, I was I was amazed that 17 million people watched the Oprah special for two hours, which is absolutely amazing but there is something that could be drawn from this uh megan markle prince harry situation i think they represent a a model of the modern world certainly the modern world of america you have a uh, an aggressive young female who feels that she has been suppressed and damaged regardless of her status and she would be the typical woman that would refer refer to as a karen a woman who feels entitled, and she's uh, associated with a feminized male, that's Prince Harry, which pretty much represents a, a uh, one significant way we could define many of the problems of the American culture. Young, aggressive females associated with feminized males who, who are enablers in their own right. So yeah. uh, to me, that was the interesting thing to uh, draw out of the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry situation. Uh, in terms of, well, let me just make an additional comment, in terms of whether the uh, the royal family is 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 racist. This is a such a consistent uh, labeling that goes on without definition, without uh, you know, as to whether somebody said something about the color of her child. It certainly would be an interior comment made by a family member un- unidentified. Yet it, it has the chance of really humiliating. And I, the only one I really have compassion for in that whole royal family is the queen herself, who has who has done a tremendous job in in sustaining the uh, the quality of of that of that position for. Uh, you know, about 75 years almost at this point. So, uh, you know, she, she's done a, a, she's dedicated her life to this process and to have at this point uh, her family and perhaps her specifically humiliated in this way is, uh, I think, uh, to me, uh, unacceptable as somebody who has admired Queen Elizabeth II. But uh, that's just, that's, I yeah, guess that's well, my, 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 my only view. My only point on this is I feel sorry for Harry. I think he'll rue the day that he ever decided to choose him, choose her as his as his bride. So uh, that may take years. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, she's, uh, I think, the narcissist uh, par excellence. Well, you know, as uh, somebody wrote yesterday, you know, she has taught young women that regardless of how rich, successful, and powerful you are, you can still be a victim. So, yeah. you know, that that's that's the message from Meghan right. Markle. Uh, the other story I just want to briefly hit on before we get to HR one is 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 Andrew Cuomo and you know my uh, my sense of outrage that uh, these sexual harassment things have taken the the primary spot in terms of the commentary on Cuomo. I've read about all of them. None of them seem. Extremely extremely egregious, you know, unwanted hugs, you know, kissing my hand and then on both cheeks when I didn't want those type of things, which, you know, perhaps shouldn't have happened, but they don't seem to have an overwhelming significance. And even when the nursing home situation is referred to, uh, it's referred to as being a, uh, a faulty count. Yeah. As compared to what we could possibly describe, and let me take it to as much egregious form, it's murder. Right. The man has willfully created a situation where people would die by taking an action for his own benefit. If that is not murder, Bob, I don't know what is. And right. yet that particular aspect, which to me is the most important consideration with Andrew Cuomo, uh, does not seem to have a major play in the, in the way this is being discussed in the media. So. Well, you know, he's just changed the scent. Uh, he's trying to stay away from the whole uh, nursing home issue, and he's trying to accentuate... Uh, the the issue with regard to the uh, sexual pre- predator aspect of his of his life, and he's doing it successfully. I mean, he's apologizing, he's groveling, he's doing a lot of things. That's certainly taking away interest in the uh, in the uh, in the issue that could probably send him to jail. 
Well, the case can be made that that was the that is the intent of the sexual harassment uh, challenges, as you br- as you brought out. That uh, it, it tends to obfuscate the uh, the real crime. And again, sometimes in America, if you can get them someone on something that uh, we we Americans tend to be satisfied that that's enough. And I don't think it is enough. I think this man can probably be held accountable for at least five thousand deaths directly by his own actions, and perhaps as many as fifteen thousand. Uh, those are numbers that just have not been associated with any other uh, comparable situation in our history. And this, is, this has been a man that has, has, has rode that, uh, taken advantage of that particular aspect of it uh, for his own personal gain. No question. So, Andy, we have so little time left, but I do want to get some of your comments on H.R. 1, this bill that's being passed by the, the House now. I w- hopefully the Senate will knock this thing down. But what are your thoughts? Well, again, I, I share the same uh, uh, view that uh, I hope this, the Senate uh, shuts it down. Uh, I think what the way I've described HR one, it is an attempt to make legal uh, illegal voting, and I think that's the best way to categorize it. What they're trying to do is enshrine permanently uh, the, uh, the the aspects of the 2020 election that were driven by COVID nineteen. And let me just interject right now. Uh, here's my prediction, Bob: If HR one doesn't pass. COVID-19 and its implication for the for the voting process will be extended to 2022. Mm. So I think one one way or the other, either HR1 will uh, will enable them to continue these uh, illegal voting methodologies or if not HR1, I think COVID-19 will be extended uh, to uh, create the allowances for the same situation that HR1 would have would have made legal. Uh, if we look at HR1 itself, it has uh, some aspects that are uh, generally not recognized. For example, it calls for a uh, a star chamber type of situation for federal judges. What does that mean? It means that there would be a special committee of Congress that would be able to call in federal judges and demand that they explain the reason for their judicial rulings. I mean, absolutely a, a, a breakdown of the checks and balances that are supposed to exist where, in fact, the Congress can bring to bring to bear their pressure on a judge to explain exactly their reasoning for a uh, for a, a court decision. That, that's an outrageous position. Uh, the other is that uh, extra seats uh, would be added for uh, for five U.S. territories. Uh, if that goes through, that would in, in, uh, expand the number of senators, most likely, in fact, predictably, Democrat senators, and expand the number of uh, electoral college votes by 18 in those same five territories. So uh, that particular provision is uh, goes uh, typically unnoticed. Uh, the basic elements, uh, which uh, you everyone's read about, I think at this point, a voter ID eliminated, uh, mail-in voting would be mandated, maintenance of accurate voting rolls would be outlawed. You cannot maintain accurate voting rolls. That process is outlawed. Same-day registration required, ballot harvesting allowed. Uh, those are the, the immediate provisions. The, the vast majority of them fly in the face of the constitutional requirement that state legislatures have the control of the voting process in their individual states. Yeah. So this is an unconstitutional act. There'd be no doubt about it, I think, within any fair uh, assessment. And yet there is a chance that this can be approved. And if so, it would, it would legalize an illegal voting process, Bob. Certainly challenged, and of course, I'm sure if it does pass, I hope it does, but Andy, that's a great summary, and I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. 
To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's author of several books. The book I'm reading right now, it's his new book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. I'm enjoying the book so much. I must admit, after uh, surgery, I'm not able to read quite as much fast as I <laughs> because of the medication, but nevertheless, I'm finding the book extremely informative. So thank you for writing. Again, the name of the book is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, you wrote a column for uh, Newsmax, Pandering White House Press, Media Pundits, Protect Biden. I think we all know about this, but your insights are just so interesting. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, I think my insights are probably the same as most people's insights on this. Uh, you kind of wonder, and kind of alarming, actually, how how uh, Biden, President Biden, who's obviously cognitively in distress, was able to uh, you know to get into the White House. You know how how did that possibly happen? I think half the country uh, recognizes this now that it's happened. The other half haven't been watching or perhaps wanted it to happen, but but it's it's pretty distressing to know that our so-called commander in chief is is someone who uh, is just really struggling with thoughts. Uh, it happens repeatedly. I mentioned and and and. Uh, some other media, including Newsmax and so on, have been observing that this is the first president in over a month and a half that's never held a, a solo press conference. And the State of the Union has been delayed indefinitely. I don't think anyone believes or wonders how he would get, possibly get through uh, such a major address, even virtually. Uh, and then the dilemma is, of course, uh, well, yeah, but who's standing in the... In, in, Behind the curtain is you know Kamala Harris and yeah and and so that's a that's an issue uh, you know when when Nancy Pelosi mentioned using the that you know the Twenty Fifth Amendment to remove a president uh, who was unfit for office she said oh, well, it's not around about Donald Trump and I think there's one time we can actually believe her on something mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's it's a uh, is should be concerning. Uh, we recently heard about his his uh, telephone conversation with uh, the, the president of China, where he you know, he uh, dismissed the notion that the the uh, pre you know, president's comment about the, the China uh, the, his treatment of the of the Uyghurs. He really the the Muslim minority that's being uh, actually just decimated in in China was just kind of a a, a leadership norm. And you think, well, if Trump had talked about you know the genocide of a 
Muslim population is really a leadership norm. Uh, imagine how he been would have been treated in the media. So, yeah. so it's a it's a real dilemma. It is a dilemma, and uh, what just amazes me is how the the media just totally supports and ignores all the things that are going on and. Ask questions like, "What's it like living in the White House?" and you know, it's just, and then uh, even questions. Once he says, "Would you like to ask some questions?" All of a sudden, the media is shut off. There's there's uh, the uh, the cameras shut off. We're not able to, to hear what what uh, other people might be asking. So uh, the, it's obvious the media is protecting him. Everybody around him is protecting him. We've uh, I've certainly seen stories that say. Fifty percent of the American people think that perhaps he's cognitively uh, unable to do the duties of the of the presidency of the of the American people, and nevertheless, I think they're propping him up and trying to just keep him going. Well, you wonder what's going to happen and how they're going to respond. Although it's you know the horse is out of the barn, but you wonder how how they're going to respond when when they can no longer ignore it. Mm-hmm. And then the question, the hard question, is going to be, well, how did you let it happen? Because it was, it's been obvious. Anybody's been paying attention for for some time. When he was, you know, during the campaign, he he he, he made the comment, "Well, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Joe Biden. I'm running for the Senate." He didn't know what office he's running for. Right. You know, he keeps, you know, he mumbles his way through these executive orders that have been prepared for him, and misintroduces his cabinet appointments and. You know, it's just, it's something that's, uh, you know, it's, it's beyond conspicuous that, that he has these, these issues. And, and you shudder to think that uh, this is, and, and we, we're seeing now that Kamala Harris is, is taking on the role of, of uh, her communications with foreign leaders, not, not Joe Biden, you know, for, for probably some pretty good reasons. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, you know, the, the question has always been who's who's behind the curtain doing uh, the decision making, and yep. I've suspected it's 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 Ron Klain who was his uh, uh, assistant when he was vice president and is currently also now, and, and I imagine it's it's quite a group of people that that are calling the shots and making yep. the plans. Certainly not himself, and uh, of course he had a lot of he had a lot of deals that he signed with you know with uh, you know with the Bernie bunch uh, is is uh, Biden Sanders uh, task force put together his you know his his platform for running for president. Now he's ticking off all of the you know the promises that were made that were part of that and. I don't think there's a single one of them that if the public was it would put to the general public and said, well, are you really, do you really support open borders? And you really support, you know, giveaways to Democrat cities that have been mismanaged for years under the guise of a COVID relief fund, which is nothing more than a bailout for Cook County, Illinois, and, and uh, you know, for New York and, and Los Angeles for their mismanagement of, of not only the COVID, but they're overspent pension funds, overcommitted, and you know, and on and on and on. I think if you put these issues to the public, you say, "Well, what do you think about these issues?" and 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 of course, the the thing was during the during the campaign, it was a non-campaign for Biden. None of these issues were discussed. It was that you know, he's nice Uncle Joe, you know, and he he's not Trump, and so on. He's gonna he's gonna crush the virus, you know. And he didn't even he didn't even acknowledge that. That the shot he got, you know, the virus, you know, the virus uh, vaccine shot that he got came out of the Trump administration when right. he, had, he and the media have been saying, "Well, uh, Trump is just grandstanding to say that there'd be a, a vaccine available before he left office." And in fact, uh, Biden had even said, "Well, we inherited this mess; we didn't have a vaccine." Well. He had taken the vaccine before he, before he left office. In December, so, in fact, exactly. The media covers for him in a, in a way it's just unimaginable. Indeed, and uh, quite frankly, once this all ends, it's Cam- if Kamala Harris, quite frankly, scares me as the potential next president of the United States, I frankly would prefer having Joe Biden, just propping up Joe Biden <laughs> for, 
for the four years rather than having Kamala Harris step in. I think she's a very dangerous and undependable, uh, I would say ruthless, and uh, uh, it has a lax character, quite frankly. So, Professor, I always genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. And again, I want to re uh, introduce what makes humans truly exceptional. Terrific read. I hope you'll get a copy of it uh, again. Uh, Professor, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's always a pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Law. He's co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon, he's director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Seat Modley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be joining us as well as Bill Barnett, the former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>